Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Richard Gallagher will join us to discuss demonic foes. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. of demonic possessions, one might wonder what is the psychology behind those presumably possessed. Joining us today to discuss his career as a psychiatrist investigating such cases is Dr. Richard Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher is a board-certified psychiatrist, professor of psychiatry at New York Medical, and a psychoanalyst on the faculty of Columbia University. He graduated from Princeton University with Phi Beta Kappa in Classics and trained as a resident in psychiatry at Yale University's School of Medicine. He is one of the world's foremost scientific experts on the subject of diabolical attacks and penned the new book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Dr. Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it is certainly a fascinating book you've put together here. I'm curious how you became interested in the topic and decided to put the book together. Well, I often tell people this is not necessarily a field to volunteer for. So I never really volunteered. I got asked by certain Catholic priests to consult on these cases that they thought might have a demonic component to it. And I remember saying to the particular prominent priest exorcist when he came to my office. I was at Cornell Medical at the time. And he said, I'd like you to evaluate this case that we suspect may have a demonic component to him. And I said, look, Father, with all due respect, you know, I came out of a psychiatric era where there was tremendous exaggeration and a subcultural hysteria about Satanists called the Satanic Panic. And I said, so I'm a little skeptical of this stuff. And I remember him saying to me with a smirk, he said, well, then you're the perfect man for the job, which was a healthy attitude on his part. And the rest is just happened as I went along. Again, it's it, this is not a field that even though I've become an academic investigator of sorts about it, it's really a field that I've just responded to people who were suffering at the request usually of priests and also clergy of other religions, by the way. And then over the years, I wound up, I am sure, seeing more of these strange cases than any other physician in history because of Zoom and the fact that people contact me all over the world. Eventually, I was asked to be scientific advisor. I'm obviously not a not an exorcist. I was asked to be scientific advisor to a Vatican-approved group of about 500 exorcists around the world. And then I was asked to write a book. I wrote the book really for two reasons. One, because I find that educated people have a lot of misconceptions about this. And since I had so much evidence of my own that I could present, I thought it would be interesting. I have a good friend of mine who's a Jewish physician, and he said to me recently, in some ways to my satisfaction, he said, well, nobody can say that a very scientifically trained person 
hasn't made a very good case for the existence of evil spirits. So he was the kind of person that I wrote the book for. But then there's also a lot of people who are confused about this issue. Even exorcists sometimes, you know, need advice and guidance. And since I have so much experience in this field, I decided I would write a collection of my experiences over the last 25 years that indicate my perspective and scientific view of the subject. I'll I'll just say one more thing. In the title, it says, Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. I use the word paranormal somewhat loosely. I would call it the so-called paranormal. Obviously, we know that many paranormal events or misperceptions or charlatans or simple hoax or even conspiracy theories. But past eras of history did believe in spiritual phenomena of different sorts, both supernatural and demonic, for instance. And so the modern term, which I regard as a pseudoscientific one, that often investigates that sort of stuff is paranormal. Although it's not like I believe in paranormal entities like aliens or that sort of thing. That term, as you put it, is somewhat of a loaded one, as it, but in this sense, it's really those aspects of these events which really are out of the usual, I think. Yeah, sort of out of the usual of our common experience, although, again, these are phenomena, and people are surprised when I say the historical evidence, let's just focus on possessions for a moment, which is one of the major focuses of the book. The evidence for paranormal throughout history, at least in the form of things like Possessions is, is in fact, quite massive. Those things have been reported in all cultures, as sociologists and historians of psychology often uh, admit. There was a famous German professor named Trugat Osterreich who wrote about this from a somewhat agnostic viewpoint. And he gives thousands of cases throughout history in his sort of magnum opus about this subject. So sometimes people will say, well, Dr. Gallagher, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream and as a psychiatrist? And I said, well, what mainstream are you talking about? Throughout history, the vast majority of people, vast majority have believed in evil spirits. Even in America today, most people believe in evil spirits. And, you know, if you go to a country like Haiti or Madagascar or something, I mean, everybody believes in evil spirits. Now, you can write that off as superstition, but it's not that... I'm out of the mainstream. Sometimes when people say that to me, I said, well, in fact, secular skeptics throughout history or pure materialists are probably out of the mainstream. I mean, the whole issue here is, am I a scientist? You know, of course I'm a scientist. I'm an American Yale-trained doctor. I believe in evolution. I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in controlled experiments. But that's a certain type of knowledge You know, we often think of modern science as based on the epistemological principle of methodological naturalism. Well, not all our knowledge is can be subject to experiments and not everybody is a materialist alone. So the premise of my book is that you can report this historical evidence, which is another type of knowledge. How do we know that George Washington was our first president? Well, we can't do scientific study about that, but we can report historical events as credible or not. And my premise in the book is that there is so much evidence throughout history of these type of phenomena, many of which I have literally seen myself, that this is a type of knowledge too. If you recall, 
The word science comes from the Latin word scientia and the Greek word episteme, and they meant all kinds of knowledge, not just what we call modern experimental knowledge, which has its place, obviously, and as a physician, I'm very committed to. In a way, it's arguing for some type of dualist philosophy between a materialistic and something outside. Then is it really the purview of science, our understanding of the natural world? Well, I would put it this way. Historical knowledge is not unscientific. There is a realm of phenomena, and certain aspects of the human psyche are in the same category. You can't necessarily do experiments on it. People sometimes say to me, because I report in my book, a lot of odd phenomena like levitation and speaking in foreign languages and, and, and stuff like that. Some people have attempted to videotape that stuff, but sort of like trying to videotape criminals. Cr criminals are not going to perform for the camera. And if you accept the premise that we're dealing with true evil spirits, often of a high intellect, they're not just going to perform for the camera. Strange to say, and it almost sounds self-serving to the argument, I've had people who claim to me that they have videotaped some possessions and seen some dramatic stuff. And then bizarrely, when they've shown the tape, they say, oh, for some reason, the tapes disappeared. Now you can say, well, you know, they're prevaricating or something like that. But the fact of the matter is that these material evil spirits have a great capacity to interfere with electronic communication even, strange as that sounds. So look, there, there are phenomena throughout history that are hard to prove using what we think of as modern science. But for modern science to dismiss that stuff, AOIPSO, is actually sort of prejudiced. And, and that's not really science, that's scientism. You know, I'm very committed to both my faith as well as reason. And throughout the Catholic tradition, certainly, which I am, they've always felt that both poles of human understanding are, are very important. So you, t you take people like Louis Pasteur and Copernicus, some of these great scientists in history, they were devout Catholics, but also very great scientists. The, the best example is originator of the theory of the Big Bang. The main person who was credited historically with that including by Einstein, by the way, was a Belgian priest. And he came up with the theory. He was an astrophysicist, but a Catholic priest. His name was George Lemaitre. And he was the first one who really propounded that theory as a whole. Einstein, by the way, originally didn't agree with him. And then later he said something to the effect, you know, after all, that, that priest was correct. So again, as a Catholic intellectual of sorts, which I guess I am, very committed to science. And that doesn't mean that faith can't be also justified, although a lot of what we think of as Western religious traditions, by that I mean both Judaism and Christianity, are essentially historical religions. And the question then becomes, you know, what is the evidence for them? And I, I tend to think that the evidence is much stronger than most people believe trying to see parsimony between religious doctrines and what science shows. And that as you begin to explain more and more of the supernatural phenomena that now become part of the natural world, something will be found and it'll just be a, another aspect of our natural world that's explained. No, I don't essentially believe that. I think that there's always going to be a debate about this stuff because this stuff strikes at the core of 
how we live our lives and how we think about God and all that. I think there's always going to be debate about that type of a subject, which is why I think people have to go on this expanded definition of knowledge. What is knowledge? Well, throughout Christian history, for instance, there have been many credible reports of miracles. Do I think that that is going to be understood materialistically? No, because it's a supernatural phenomena, and supernatural phenomena can't be captured by material science. Again, that doesn't make it unscientific. You know, I've been a member of the Medical Bureau at Lourdes, and there are very, very rigorous studies of miracles, but it's not like somebody's going to be able to figure them out naturalistically. And again, this is in no way a critique of modern science, which has been extremely, extremely helpful. In possessions as well, we're making rigorous diagnoses. We have to see unequivocal evidence. We have to distinguish it from things like psychosis, dissociative identity disorders, sociopathic people. We have to make a rigorous evaluation that there are actually evidence for something that goes beyond the naturalistic. In the book, I give many, many examples of that. I mean, a very good example is the cats in my house went berserk one night. The very next day, this priest introduced me to one of these rare Satanists. She had never met me before. I had never met her before. The first words out of her mouth were, Dr. Gallagher, how did you like the cats last night? I mean, that can't be explained naturalistically. And, you know, I also say to people, you don't have to believe me. I mean, I give many, many examples in the book because I think the evidence is far more massive than people imagine. But I I often say to people, well, every couple of years, in fact, in September, I'm going to address the International Association of Exorcist Assembly, which is near Rome. And, you know, I said, you don't have to believe me. You know, you can believe these 500 exorcists who convene every year. They all have stories like mine. Now, as a doctor, I've probably seen more of these cases than most of them. But you don't have to take Dr. Gallagher's word for it. Talk to somebody in Haiti and Madagascar about what they've observed. They think Westerners are quite naive. But again, the the evidence is historical in nature. You're not going to be able to do experiments on this type of thing. I mean, it reminds me sort of, you know, because you you brought up the issue of, you know, religious phenomena. I tell people, you don't have to interview me. You can interview 500 exorcists who all have stories similar to mine. And just to get a little Christian about it, it's very similar to what the rabbi turned Christian proselytizer, St. Paul, Paul of Tarsus, said when he went to Corinth, a very sophisticated group of people. And he said, you don't have to believe me. There are 500 people who are still alive who saw Jesus Christ uh, resurrected. So, yeah, look, this is obviously a controversial subject. But the idea that the biblical religions have no evidence is ludicrous. There is evidence. Everybody has to decide for themselves whether the evidence convinces them. But if we wait around for experiments to explain miracles or stuff, we will be waiting until kingdom come. Maybe as a practical matter, then, I'm presuming that such things can be attributed to supernatural experiences, then is it beneficial, then, do you think, for individuals in your field, psychiatry, then, to potentially recognize that the things that they might be seeing are not psychotic or organically based, but might, in fact, be attributed to some kind of supernatural event, and that change a little bit about how they approach any type of cases that they might experience or or come across in their practice? 
Well, it's a good question, but it's kind of an empirical and a practical question. Fundamentalists are very surprised when I tell people I am an extremely clinically experienced psychiatrist. I used to be the crisis director for our county. And I've estimated that in the course of my career, since my graduation as a resident from Yale, that I've seen about 27,000 cases. These are clinical cases. These are not cases sent to me by clergy, say, because they suspected something paranormal. I've evaluated 27,000 psychiatric cases in my life as patients, you know, because these individuals that I write about, who gave me permission to write about them, by the way, they're not patients, okay? I don't treat these individuals. But of my normal cases during the course of a long career as a psychiatrist, and none of those people have I said, oh, by the way, sir, I'll surprise you by saying you're possessed. So possession itself is very rare. The only reason I've seen a lot of cases, and I have seen a lot of cases in my life, some of them even by Zoom and stuff like that, is because people from all over the world have come to me, not because they're common. So look, I don't expect psychiatrists, you know, we are we are scientifically trained. I don't expect, nor do I think they would do a very good job of it, of diagnosing people as having spiritual problems. But psychiatry is a scientific discipline in itself. Psychiatrists have enough trouble dealing with people with severe mental illness without our presuming that they ought to become experts in discerning these rare cases. And we haven't even gotten to all those very fascinating cases that you talk about in your book, but was there a turning point, a case that really drove it home for you? Well, probably the case that I most learned from was the case actually early on, and this was of one of these rare Satanists. And again, I'm not somebody who sees Satanists everywhere. As, as you well know, I'm sure in America, there's a cultural hysteria about things like Satanism and all that. Having said that, this was one of the real deals. This is the woman who told me, how'd you like the cats last night? Now, she also, for instance, knew how my mother died. She knew how many people's mother died. She had this occult knowledge. And again, you're looking for things like occult knowledge, paranormal abilities, you know, so-called paranormal abilities. She had one where she could tell me from a distance. She regarded herself as an occultist with what they what the occultists call a third eye. And she said, I can see people at a distance. She respected my opinion and I had a pretty good working relationship with her. And so I said, okay, smarty pants, show me that your ability to do that. And so she said, well, I can see the chief exorcist from where he was. I knew he was about 200 miles away. And she described him to a T. She said, well, he's walking along the beach where he never normally was. He's saying his prayers. He has a blue windbreaker. So I said to this woman who in the book called Julia and describe her case in depth, they're actually going to make a movie out of her life. I say, I called a priest who had become a friend of mine and I said, you know, father, what are you doing? He said, well, I'd usually be in the rectory, but I decided to take a drive and say my breviary around the beach. And I asked him what he was wearing. And it kind of dawned on him because he knew I was having these discussions with this woman who called herself a satanic queen. He said, you're talking to our friend who I, I used the pseudonym Julia. And I said, yes. And, and he said to me, she's something else. And then during her exorcisms, which, by the way, were unsuccessful because she never turned to God. She never renounced her 
Satanist and evil way, mainly because she was kind of scared that they would retaliate against her. And she liked her stupid little psychic powers. She told me once, she said, nobody's gifted. People either get gifted from God or from Satan. She clearly felt she was gifted from Satan. Anyway, during her exorcisms, which were immensely dramatic, I did not have the time, being a busy guy, I did not have the time to go to her exorcism. But about eight or nine people reported to me she levitated for about 30 minutes. And I've heard that from other people, too. Again, a rare phenomenon, even for her possession. But she also was speaking all kinds of foreign languages. The room, you know, became cold. It became hot. Stuff that seems like it's out of a Hollywood movie, but that eight or nine people vouched for me. And I've seen many examples of people speaking foreign languages who didn't know it. And I often say to psychiatrists who challenge that, well, how many how many people, how many patients have you had who all of a sudden speak perfect Latin or levitate? Obviously, that proves that the, these people are in a realm far beyond psychiatry. So that was probably, to get back to your question, that was probably the most enlightening case just because it was so dramatic. And interestingly, she was she was grateful for me to try for trying to help her, but she she never really turned to renounce her ways. And so she was never delivered, even though at the end of our working together, she said, well, Dr. Gallagher, if you disguise my identity, which I do for characters in the book, even though everything else in the book is literally 100 percent accurate. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written the book. It would have been a waste of everybody's time, mostly my own. And she said to me, if you want to tell my story in a book or or even other media, go ahead and do it. I think she wanted to give me a little gift at the end because she did respect my opinion, even though ultimately she was unwilling to seek the help that she needed. It's really an incredible story. And and again, as I mentioned, the book is really with experiences over the many years looking at this. We are running slightly out of time, though. I'm curious, though, through these experiencing, what is your impression? Why is this happening? What's the reason? Well, why does anything bad happen? You know, I mean, people have free will. People do bad things to other people. There's Putin's and Stalin's and then there's Mother Teresa's. So, you know, the capacity for evil exists with any creature with free will. We Catholics believe that these demonic entities have free will. And so they seem in their malice and revenge against God, they seem to like to torment people. I mean, we all know people in our lives who have a sadistic streak. Well, these are powerful entities who are sadistic and get some pleasure out of tormenting God's creature. They can't attack God, and they've made their choice to rebel against God, and they're fixed in that decision. Nevertheless, they have a certain operating room for their freedom. It's it's very little different. In, 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 your question is very little different than saying, why do we have cancer? Why do we have people who murder other people? Any universe, so to speak, any cosmos where there's going to be free will, people are sometimes going to misuse that free will. And that's, that's the whole theological conundrum of why God permits evil. To close, do you have any final words regarding the book and what you really would like people to take home after reading it? Well, it's, it's a serious book. It's filled with many, many stories because, you know, of the so-called paranormal and stuff, uh, because I wanted to be persuasive to people. I wanted people to recognize that there there is this evidence. 
Uh, it's been translated into several different languages already. Uh, it's, it's selling well in Japan in a Japanese version, in part because East Asians, like most cultures in the world, also believe in evil spirits, even if they have a, a different conception than Christians do about the subject. But it was also translated into Polish. It was translated into Spanish. Uh, you know, it's easily available on Amazon, as everything is these days. And if, if people have an interest in this subject, I mean, I'm not a poor person. So, you know, people should buy the book if they're interested in the book. Uh, I don't really care that much about the money, most of which goes to HarperCollins anyway. But if people find this uh, topic of intrigue, I think that they will be interested in a treatment of the subject by myself, who is, I think, pretty well regarded as the, uh, you know, as a respected physician and professor, but also as uh, a scientific expert on this subject. We were talking with Dr. Richard Gallagher. His new book is entitled Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Dr. Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.